I'm Brenna, a certified sex expert and sex coach who is passionate about human sexuality, female empowerment, and helping people develop the sex life of their dreams. I'm Brian, certified relationship coach, eager to share my unique relationship experiences along with a rich history of sexuality to coach you through your personal journey. And you're listening to Sex on Your Terms. We've all heard the cliche relationship and sex advice out there, and some of it may be worthwhile. Other things we personally feel like need to be thrown out the window. We're going to talk through those today, but first we want to say a very big thank you to altplayground.net, our pick for the place to start your next non-monogamous adventure. The thing we like most about Alt Playground is that they're not doing the status quo. They are constantly building, acquiring new sites to make sure that you have a whole bunch of sexy people all in one place, and they have things like many relationship statuses, sexual identifications, gender identities, so that your experience on the site can be as personal and enriching as possible. So head on over to altplayground.net today and check it out for yourself. And we also want to say a very big thank you to Luxury Lifestyle Charters. If you are looking to socially distance and still have an amazing time with lifestyle friends, we definitely recommend checking out Luxury Lifestyle Charters because you can jump on a yacht with up to six of your lifestyle friends, hit the high seas, head to the Bahamas or the Florida Keys, and just have an absolute blast. It has a lifestyle-friendly staff, top-of-the-line amenities, and so many other features that will make your experience unforgettable. So head on over to LuxuryLifestyleCharters.com today. If you end up booking, make sure you tell them that Sex on Your Terms sent you, Brenna and Brian, to get a free case of champagne on your charter. So we have an interesting sex in the news today that we're going to talk about, and I think it's especially uh, interesting for someone my age. It is. It certainly is. It's right in your age bracket. <laughs> so the article is from U.S. News, and it's titled, More Young Americans Are Going Without Sex. It discusses how people right in my age range are having significantly less sex compared to the previous two decades. Yeah. I mean, well, first it starts out with 18 to 24, which I'm blown away by. That's, I mean, I remember when I was 18 to 24, <laughs> there was a lot of sex going on. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a lot of sex. So I don't really know. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Well, I guess I do know what's happening. Social media is happening. The digital age is happening. And that's, that's pretty much what this article says. Well, it says the age of Tinder has a lot to do with it. And I would completely agree with that. I am back on Tinder as we continue to search for playmates. And it really has this way of disconnecting you from people. It's all about the swipe right, swipe left. I don't think people, I would be willing to bet very few people are reading bios. Oh, we know they're not from our own experiences, but this, what this reads is that Tinder, although this is a Tinder generation, this iGen as they refer to it, is so prevalent, they're still having less sex because they're, that generation wants to play video games, communicate on their phones, chat with their friends on their phones. It changes everything. They're well, not face-to-face. -face. Exactly. And that's my point is that Tinder has almost become a game rather than yeah. a way to find people that you might want to have fun with. Yeah. It really, it, it's definitely a game. It's, it's a numbers game. That's for sure. I think it's a pretty huge issue and I'm, I'm not trying to be generalizing by saying this, but I definitely think men of that age range are the ones that I most often see issues with. And of course, that could be because I'm communicating with them far more than I am with single women or women of that age range. But I think that there's something to be said for the level of focus that men have, especially around my age. It yeah. seems like it's that constant squirrel syndrome going on of, you know, if, if even if we're having a meaningful conversation, even if we're connecting, it's on to the next thing. Yes. And if they come back, it's only because they've be, they've become bored of the other thing that they've experienced. There's no question about it. We have a lot of interaction on digital platforms with single folks particularly, and I see that a lot. If, if someone in that age range reaches out to you or me or us, it, there's definitely a, a disconnect. You can definitely tell a difference between the difference between a 25, 26-year-old and a 45 or 46-year-old. Right. It, it's night and day. You know, especially like the attention span, you know, and it, it's really quite interesting. It's a, it's really an interesting experiment. Well, it's resulting in less sex. And I think that's a problem that needs to be fixed. It certainly is a problem. I, th I think it's a problem. I think that unfortunately, without that face to face, the art of the conversation is dead. It's just dead. Right. And being able to digitally communicate has made it so easy for people to really just kind of tune out. 
Right. You know, and, and I think that's a big part of it. People are not connecting. We were out to dinner last night. We were actually at two restaurants last night. We actually walked out of one of them. But we were in the first restaurant we were in is very high end, very nice, you know, really one of the better restaurants in our town. And where you and I were sitting, you couldn't tell because there was this kind of glass partition between us and the table beneath us to our right. And there was a couple sitting there, probably in that age range, no old, certainly not 30 years old. On their phones. They were not looking at each other. And this is a romantic kind of setting and candlelight and all of that. And they weren't even they weren't even looking at each other. I yeah. find that very strange. It's you wonder how they got together at all. Yeah, well, you also wonder if that means that people in relationships are having far less sex. Well, that's exactly well, and that's part of what this reads. People are just so disconnected and so tuned into their digital devices that they're not they're just not communicating with each other, you know, on a normal face-to-face kind of level, which of course is gonna lend itself to less physical intimacy. So if you're a young American listening to our show right now and you don't feel like you're having enough sex. Maybe time to fix it. Put all the right? phone down. <laughs> put the phone down. Well, put the, pick the phone up just long enough to meet someone digitally. Yeah, then put the and phone then down. Get out there. Go to a park. Go get coffee. Do something. Yes, yeah, something. <laughs> yeah, have some more sex. For sure. I really want to jump into today's topic because it's something that I've been thinking about since we discussed this topic. Yeah, I know you have. And I'm excited to delve into some of these. Our topic today is cliche relationship and sex advice. And the reason we wanted to talk about this is because I think that there are those kind of staple things that people say to each other, either getting into a relationship or if they are single and looking to go into a relationship or especially as young people that are kind of in the back of your mind that are kind of garbage. Now, not all of these are garbage. We're going to talk about which ones we agree with or at least elements that we agree with. Well, I think it's interesting because, and I I don't want to give, I want to be fair about this. Obviously, we have another podcast from Poor Swingers and on it, we talk about a lot more of the details of our day-to-day kind of experiences in the life of ethical non-monogamy. And very recently, I shouldn't say recently, for the last number of months, we have been talking about dipping our toes into the world of polyamory, and we have on a a number of different levels. And it certainly seems to be the way that our trajectory is headed. And we just recently talked about a situation that uh, you have found yourself in. You are basically dating someone. You've been on two dates. I don't know if that's dating, but I have gone on two dates. (laughs) You're you're going to go on a third this coming week. Uh, So you are seeing another person in a more of a polyamorous relationship type of a situation. And after we had that conversation on our show, we were reached out to by a number of uh, listeners and, and regular followers who were just so, they found it so difficult to believe that we were able to go down that road. That the idea of, you or I, quote unquote, dating someone else and not just having sex with them was so, it was just abstract. Like right. they couldn't wrap their heads around it. And that's part of, I think, what we're going to, some of what we're going to talk about today. It's like the, this ideology, you know, sure, you're an ethically non-monogamous couple, but you are a couple. So other than sex, you shouldn't be having relationships with other people. I just find that to be a, a strange concept. I think even in monogamous relationships, some of the concepts we're going to talk about today are maybe a little bit damaging. So let's jump in because I'm so excited for this. Okay, Okay, so the first one, opposites attract. This is one you hear all the time, right? Yeah, Yeah, I guess if you're in science class, that is true. Yeah, (laughs) positives and negatives attract. I get it. Do you think we're opposites? Well, here's the interesting thing. There are some people who are absolutely opposites, polar opposites. I I know those couples, you know those couples. And then I know couples that are 100% the same. It's almost like they're, like they're cookie cutter, right? They came, they're cut from the same cloth. And then we know couples, I think like us, who are the same and are different. We have different likes. I mean, we don't like the same movies. We don't agree on the same music. We do have a lot of the same core values, certainly. But to say that you and I are exactly the same, no, we're not exactly the same. We're a lot alike, certainly. We're more alike than we are not alike. Right. But we do have some some differences. So yeah, we're opposites, but we're also the same. And I, I don't I, think we're opposites. I think that we are that we are individual people. Right. I think the concept of opposites attract makes me think of people who are on completely different pages. So for example, I I mean the cliche one of this cliche statement is the homebody versus the partier. And That can work for some people depending on their arrangement, but I think that specific example could be a complete train wreck as well. And when I think of it, I think of people talking about like 
religion and political bends and those kinds of things, right? So someone who's staunchly religious and then you've got someone who's an atheist, that's going to be a difficult combination. Your How, parents made it However, <laughs> I am a product of that relationship. My right. parents were married for 50 years prior to my father passing away. My mother is a was born and raised Roman Catholic. My father was a staunch atheist and somehow they managed to spit out a couple of pretty decent kids. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's there. They couldn't have been more, but that's where the opposites stopped with my parents is it though because it seems like from a personality perspective your mother is very sweet and nurturing and your father was kind of a hard ass well he was the disciplinarian no doubt about it unless you were part of that family part of the part of the family and part of the inner circle my father was very much a nurturing person he was not someone who was going to show his emotions a a lot of times he didn't grow up in those days in in that era he was born in 1933 you know he had to be hard-nosed it was the depression you know all those things so he wasn't quite quick to show emotion, mm-hmm. but certainly a caring and giving person. But beside the religious piece, my parents were, I mean, they were the life of the party. They were caring and giving and they were the same people, mm-hmm. but they, they did not share the same beliefs in religion. They voted the same across the board. They always voted the same person. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that I was think the one that's, difference. That's probably the most difficult of the opposites attract you would think so things to get past because especially religion it's a very personal thing for people whether you are religious or not religious typically you have very strict beliefs absolutely that that uh, and also that dictate things that go on in your life well and they were really good about coming to some agreements you know they made concessions for each other and it was really like when kids are younger this is the route they're going to follow. When they get older and they can make their own decisions, that's when we're just going to let them do their own thing. Neither of us are going to be an influence. We're just going to let them find their path. And they were really good about doing that. That's great. I think the one that you brought up this morning when we were talking about this concept, and it was not something I had even thought of before, but you said, well, what if it's somebody, and you said this kind of tongue in cheek, you're like, well, if you have one person that's monogamous and one person that's not. But I think if you break that down and truly look at how it could be in a relationship, if you have one person who's very sexual and very driven by sex and motivated by having enriched sexual experiences. And then you have another person who's the complete opposite and places little to no value on sex. Yes. That can be so disastrous in a relationship. We see that all the time. We talk to people in those situations all the time. Yes. And I have a a friend that was in a a relationship like that for many, many years, married his high school sweetheart. We all went to high school together. Uh, His wife was very much more like puritanical in nature and my friend was not that way that relationship once they were married lasted about four years and simply it it just eroded very quickly because they found that they were so drastically different in the things that they think or thought they needed to stay a couple and and to have their relationship evolve that it became untenable there there was no saving that relationship It, it was a situation where i watched these folks as high school sweethearts and went to prom together and were never with another person they were only physically ever with each other you know and then watching it just completely fall apart based on sexual needs sexuality all those things that a lot of people have a difficult time talking about and you know you're young you don't you don't talk about those things you also don't prioritize those things typically when you're young certainly not yeah certainly not it's interesting i think as far as we go we definitely have opposite elements of us like you mentioned kind of those more surface level things yeah, like very yes, benign kind of stuff you we know. have very different tastes in movies we have very different ideas of like what would be you know fun crazy thing to go do yeah low-hanging fruit <laughs> We're, we have some uh, some opposites when it comes to the low-hanging fruit but the core value is you and i are on the same page very much that's so. the mo- i think that's the main thing yeah so opposites attract are we saying yay or nay on this one i think it yay depends and nay. Yeah, I also think that... I don't think you need to look at it. I think the problem is people look at that like at the end all be all. Right. Right? That's not the case here. That's not what we're talking about. Yes, opposites attract, but so do people who are the same. Two positives also, they can get together, you know, and make it work. Do positives make a positive? Is that a thing? Or do they cancel each other they out? They cancel each other out. Oh. <laughs> but they, 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 I mean, for I mean, it does work. I mean, people who are the same work, people who are different work. I've seen it. We've seen it in the lifestyle. We've seen it certainly. How many times have we been with a couple? One of them is the life of the party. The other one is not. That's a lot like what you and I are. I'm much more sit kind of in the back, watch everything go on. You're absolutely talking to everybody and floating around the room. I'm very comfortable sitting down and having a conversation with one or two people and just kind of watching the perimeter, you know, and just kind of see what's happening in my environment. Yeah. 
Yeah. But you're right out there and talking to everybody and, you know, that's your thing. I mean, from that perspective, we're different, certainly. Yeah. But, and that's one way that I think us being opposite really works because I'm the one that can like loop people in and get us talking to new people that we wouldn't have necessarily talked to before. Right. We have different experiences because of that. And you are very cautious and you have to pull me in sometimes and go, you might need to consider this or here's a red flag I'm seeing that you're probably not. Right. So I think in that way, it really works for us. Well, yeah. And when you talk about opposites, it's not necessarily an opposite thing, but it is certainly a varying piece. You know, we're 20 years apart. Yeah. I have very different and much more life experience than you do. So you would think we were 100% opposite. Right. You know, we're not, but there are some of those opposite components. So we work for sure. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. The next one. You can't find love unless you love yourself first. (laughs) Yeah. Look, we are all our own worst critics. No one worse than me. Right. So the idea that you can't find love if you first don't love yourself, I'm not a huge believer in that. I think that if you find someone that, that really matters to you and resonates to you, that will be a real big help in you starting to really appreciate who you are. Yeah. I would agree. I will also say, though, if you are a miserable person, yeah, if you just hate life and you walk around with a puss look on your face all day, yes, are you going to attract the right person? Eh, probably not. Oh, we know one of them, too. And it's unfortunate because she is, uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I believe she's going to die alone. I think that there's a, there's a situation where you get to a point where you're so bitter, so angry, at, at everything around, it's, every, it's, it's always someone else's fault at that point, right? It's not you. You can't look at yourself and go, okay, maybe I'm the problem. And, you know, I've said this before, if you don't always see the asshole in the room, you might be the asshole. Right. <laughs> so you really got to put it into perspective, right? I mean, there's a lot of that. Yeah, I would agree with your original point, though, and I think that relates very well to our relationship. So when you and I got together, I would not say I had a confidence issue, but I would also say that I was not in a place in my life where I felt the best about myself, both from a professional standpoint, a personal standpoint, a body image standpoint, and being with you and having your support and entering the lifestyle together really changed all of that for me. I'm at the point in my life now where, I mean, there's always room for improvement, but I really like myself a lot. Yeah, there's something to be said for finding your groove. And I think we've both found that. It yeah. took, we took different paths, certainly. Do you think that you have as well? Yeah, because prior to my, my meeting you and, and coming here and you know, leaving the state of Texas after you know, almost 30 years, I had very different priorities. And because of that, I was never satisfied. I was constantly restless. I had never felt like I'd accomplished enough. I wasn't good enough. I had to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And finally, I just gave up. I was like, okay, this is over. I can't do this anymore. I need to tone it down. I need to streamline my life, simplify things, and just get back to basics. And that's what I did. And lo and behold, by doing that, here we are. The perfect relationship, the perfect situation, taking the professional aspect of it, you know, out of the, out of the picture, I changed that drastically as well from the, you know, in terms of how much, how much I make and how much I needed to make and how much I work and all those things, they became irrelevant because the relationship took precedence. Never in my life did a relationship take precedence prior to you and I never, not once. It was never a priority, which is why I'm probably divorced four times. So I just didn't care. I was more concerned about the, you know, the, the, the surface level stuff, the superficial stuff. And how has it changed you personally? I think I appreciate things a lot more than I ever did. I never I never really cared about doing things, meeting people, experiencing things. I was singular in focus. Uh, it was a professional focus and really nothing else mattered. Everything else was just secondary yeah. or tertiary. So now it's very different, obviously. Yeah. So on this one, are we saying yay or nay? <laughs> oh, <boy>. both. <laughs> both. Yeah, both. I think, it's, I think it's both equally as well. I yeah. think... Do you have to be in the best place in your life to be able to find true love? No. No. Do you have to be in a place where you can provide joy and happiness to someone else in order to be in a healthy relationship? Yes. Yeah. You have to at least be prepared to accept love and to have the capacity to offer it. Certainly. And then I think if there are some deficiencies or what you deem deficient, I think the right partner brings those things out in you. Yeah, and supports you in doing so. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, the third one. Your soulmate is out there. Now, this is interesting because we call each other 
I say you're my soulmate. You say right. I'm your soulmate. Right. And we have had podcast listeners from our other podcast, Front Porch Swingers, yes. that have commented on that. Yes. It's kind of an interesting concept, especially as we look to go into the world of polyamory. Yep. Because most people that are polyamorous, I would say, and obviously I'm generalizing this just based on podcasts and talking to people and those types of things, but they don't believe in the concept of a soulmate, which is why they are polyamorous. That's correct. I disagree with that. And as I said to you earlier today, if you think, well, first of all, if you think your partner is your soulmate, right? What does that, what does that mean to people? Uh, to me, especially, you know, now that I'm 50 years old, I've been through a whole lot of relationships and I now understand the meaning of that. And for me, the biggest part of that is being able to say anything to your partner and knowing that there will be, you will not be met with judgment. It'll be accepted thoughtfully and that you are free to have those conversations and there's no fear of, you know, any reprisal, right? That's a big deal. Uh, for me, that's a big, that's not the only component, but certainly a big, big component. So I challenge anyone, any couple, if you think your husband, your wife, whatever the case may be, is your soulmate, maybe it's time to have a real heart-to-heart conversation because do you think you could look at your quote-unquote soulmate and say, hey, I really want us to try ethical non-monogamy. Or maybe, you know, I've really been thinking about this. I feel like we might be best suited to be in a polyamorous relationship. Let's see what your partner's reaction to that is. Right. That'll be interesting. But do know that once you throw that little nugget out there, coming back from it is not easy. (laughs) Not easy to come back from that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting that you described soulmate that way. And I think that's why maybe there's an issue with this concept of soulmates for people. Because my definition is different than yours. Sure. My definition is the stars had to align, destiny had to happen in order for the two people that are soulmates to find one another. Absolutely. And I'm not a spiritual person, but I do believe in destiny. I believe that everything happens for a reason and I believe that everything comes full circle. And I think our relationship is proof of that. And that's why I consider you my soulmate. I think everything had to align just perfectly for our paths to cross and for us to build the life that we have. Think about what it took for me to get here, to meet you. Yeah. When you think about all of the components that went into my arriving here in the in Montana to, to live and to work and to do all those things and met and to meet you five days after my permanent arrival here. When I think about everything that had to happen, even just over the course of the of the year prior, to what had to take place and the decisions I had to make literally a last minute, standing in the airport, ticket in hand, ready to fly to Ithaca going to accept a job and move to Ithaca, New York from Texas. And never meet me, ever. Standing at the gate, literally get on the phone, call my recruiter. Hey, man, can't do this. There's no way I'm going to Ithaca. Sorry. Hang up the phone, get an Uber and head right back home, buy a ticket, come to Montana. Yeah. That, it was literally, I was in the airport. Bags packed, everything's checked, got to undo all of that. Like, yeah, it was, I mean, what had to happen, all of the things that went into my arriving here were just crazy. Yeah. So So I think, you know, when you think of a soulmate in those terms, yeah, I I mean, when I think of a soulmate, that's what I think of. I think of two people who found each other because it was the right time for them to do so. And it made sense for both of their lives and it it betters both of their lives. Yeah. It's a a destiny thing. There's no, I, I believe that for sure. It wasn't, this was no accident. So then the question becomes, can you have more than one soulmate? I don't think you can. I think there is a person that, you know, much like you and I, I think we were meant to be together for so many reasons, not the least of which is that we accept each other for who we are. And that's where we fall into this kind of strange category where a lot of people, even in the world of ethical non-monogamy, don't get it. Maybe even in polyamory for that matter. They don't understand how you and I could consider ourselves soulmates and, well, Let's start with the monogamous world. First of all, the idea that you and I are ethically non-monogamous to them throws a monkey wrench in that whole thing because a lot of people believe or want to believe that only being with one person is the end-all be-all. That's, That's how it's supposed to be. That's what makes a soulmate, yeah. That, yeah, which is absolutely incorrect. Yep. For me, I take the total opposite approach. The idea that you and I are soulmates allows us to experiment and to live our lives the way we do and yet we, we're, we're on the same page. We come back together because it's all about our relationship, the betterment of our relationship. You seeing someone else, my seeing someone else, 
us having physical intimacy with other people, it all comes back to how it betters our relationship. To be clear, we don't get involved in situations, whether it's in the world of swinging or polyamory or any category of ethical non-monogamy, if we don't believe it is going to strengthen our relationship. We don't do things extraneously. We don't do them without each other's knowledge. That's not a thing. So everything we do brings us back to, is this going to help our relationship? And if it is, there's no reason not to try it. Right. That That's the bottom line. That's a soulmate to me. That's what that means. It does, it does not mean that you you marry the same one person, you stay with that person, you don't deviate. There's no external influences, you know, sexually or otherwise. Like, that's not a thing. To me, that's not a soulmate. That's a prisoner. <laughs> right. You know? Well, I think the other reason I don't like the concept of this, this cliche statement, your soulmate is out there is because I don't believe that everyone has a soulmate. I believe a lot of people are better off being not alone, but focusing on other things other than their one soulmate or their one relationship. I think that there are people out there that will be happy being solo poly for their entire lives. I think there are people out there who feed off of friendships far more than they do relationships. Yeah. And so I think that concept of like, oh, you have to go out there and find your soulmate is very limiting to people. And it doesn't account for the fact that you can design your life however you want to. Yeah. Don't try so hard. If you truly have a soulmate out there, that person will present themselves to you at some point. Or you will never have one and that's yeah. also well, okay as long as you're fulfilled. Yeah, if your destiny is to meet your soulmate, you will. If it's not, you simply won't. Meanwhile, just live your life the way you want to live it as long as you're not hurting anyone else. There really shouldn't be an issue. Exactly. So the next one's going to get me a little fired up. This is one we talk about <laughs> a lot and you know which one it is, I'm sure. I do. The concept of saving yourself for someone special. Now, yeah. usually this is once again, generalizing, but teenage women are the ones told this a lot. Yes. I remember this being told to me many times by pretty much every relative, every older person in my life. Right. This concept of if you give yourself away to someone and they aren't special to you, it's going to be a horrible experience or it's somehow going to cheapen you. Yes. And that's also why I hate hate, hate, hate that it's lose your virginity. I've had to get myself out of the the habit of saying that because it's just such a normal part of our vernacular when you talk about someone having sex for the first time. Oh, they lost their virginity. Or when did you lose your virginity? It's it's how we talk about it. And I wish we would get away from that because it makes it sound as if once you have sex, you are less than. You're losing something. Well, it's so contrary, especially in in our world where we are – firm believers in in women's empowerment. I mean, the idea that you just said it, how you have changed just in the time that we've been together and particularly in the lifestyle, you have found your voice, not just your sexual voice, but as a, as a woman, you found your voice very commanding now where maybe, you know, earlier on you were going to kind of be in the background. You were, you were a little more demure and not as quick to, to voice your opinion about things. And I was a you bit know. more of a people pleaser, I would say. That's yeah, what, a lot of what it was. Yeah, and now you kind of take charge of, of situations. And when you think about women's empowerment, the last thing you think of is a woman or a young girl being belittled or looked upon as less than because she's no longer pure. The idea of that to me is so archaic. It's like time, you know? We, you got you to set the clock back, fall forward, fall back, spring forward kind of thing. Like, why are we still doing that? You know, we certainly need to go away from that. And and we're still worried about, you know, the purity of a young girl. Let women be women. If you're a young woman and you feel like, you know, you need to express yourself stifling that, I don't I don't see how that benefits you. I've seen it. I, I've seen it with my own eyes. You know, I went, I had a sister who grew up through Catholic school. It was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that doesn't work. You know, that whole concept of keeping it pure and saving yourself for the right person. Who's the right person? When do you know who the right person is? How could you possibly know that at a younger, at a young age? Why can't you just express yourself? Well, I also think it's placing an emphasis on the wrong thing in terms of a woman's sexuality. It's not placing an emphasis on go out there and find pleasure and find a partner who's going to respect you. And let's talk about consent and all of these things that are going to improve a woman's sexuality and her ability to have positive sexual experiences. Instead, we're saying something like, stuff it all down, act like it doesn't exist, and then wait until someone special comes along. Or worse, wait till marriage. How many times I heard that growing up in my house? I'm sure. Listen, 
the idea that the first person you're going to have a sexual encounter with is the person you just married. That is a train wreck. I mean, you don't even know. If you haven't had any sexual encounters at all, you have no idea what your sexuality even means. Right. So you're going to commit yourself to one person not having any idea what it is that you truly need or want or desire. How does that, I mean, think about that for a second. It makes zero sense, especially when you consider how important sex is to a relationship. And we can argue that all day long. Right. All day long. I'm here to tell you it's really important. At least to most relationships. Yeah, It is really important for healthy relationships. I'm not saying that you can't have a long-term relationship. We've heard of people and know people that have had very long-term relationships. They were not fulfilling and they ended terribly. Or like the one gentleman who was married to his high school sweetheart and he was 75, she passed away and finally told everybody that he was gay at 75 years old, had children, grandchildren, and never said a word Yeah, because he just simply didn't know how, didn't know that he thought he shouldn't. And I mean, that's just, I mean, imagine living your life that way. You're 75 and you're not living your truth for 75 years. That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's just got to be outrageous. Yeah. So don't do that. Yeah. And I also think the idea of, you know, limiting Obviously, I am not a parent. I do have a sister who is a teenager. And I I think of her, for example, like if she wants to be a sexual being, I don't want her to be stifled by that. And there's still all of these ideas about how old a woman should be when she first has sex and, you know, waiting until you're a certain age or you're in college or you're past college or you're married or all these things like you were talking about. It's, it is so limiting as to who a person really is because your sexual identity is part of you, no matter who you are and no matter what age you're at. Well, I can tell you as someone who raised uh, a teenage girl, particularly a boy too, but a teenage girl specifically. My conversations with her and and her mother were, I think, for most people, would, most people would find them unique. Now, my life was not like a lot of folks. I I grew up and operated as a professional in the world of sexuality, and so for me, I looked at it very differently. My concerns were not, don't have sex till you get married and save yourself and all those things. It was. I want you to to live your life the way you want to live it. I want you to be intelligent about it and make those smart decisions. And most certainly do not be afraid to ask me, us questions. If you feel like this is something you need to do, let's go ahead and do it the right way. And that's, you know, there's no way you're going to stop young people from being explorative, you know, and if they want to be, they're going to be. And I can bore you with a lot of examples of that that I'm familiar with. But the the main thing is have a conversation with those young girls and say, listen, you're going to have different feelings and you know, you're not really sh- going to be sure what to do or not to do. You need to understand that it's okay to have those conversations with us and let's talk through them. Yeah. Difficult to do, you know, for a lot of people, but absolutely something that I, I mean, I did it and it worked out pretty well. So I think I think I did pretty well at that. But yeah, I think this, that's the kind of thing you, you know, you've got to empower young girls, empower women. And teach them that sex is a beautiful thing, not something to be feared. Well, I could talk about this subject all well, day. Well, listen, for me, I mean, how was I going to say to young kids, teenage kids, oh, yeah, you got to abstain. I was a, an executive in an adult entertainment management company. It's going to be a little rough to have a conversation <laughs> about, well, it's like tattoos, right? That was a conversation we had at, at 16 years old when, you know, at, at that time. How are you going to tell a 16-year-old that it's not okay to have, you know, to get tattoos? I'm covered in them. So is her mother. How do you do that? It's okay. the same thing with sex. Okay. When you're an adult, you're 18, do, you just go crazy. I'll take you and get the first one, you know, which we did. So piercings. Well, I want to get pierced. Well, kind of tough to tell her you can't get pierced when her mother is pierced. You know, it, it's kind of, you just got to be intelligent about it. But sexual women's empowerment, I think, starts at that young age. And you've got to empower them to make some decisions and to think for themselves and to know that they can have a conversation with you. That's the big thing is communication. You got to be able to say, hey, before you make a mistake, let's talk about it first. I'm not telling you can't do it or you shouldn't do it, but let's talk through it. 
you know, and just see where their head's at. So I don't know if you guys can tell this or not, but this one's a huge nay from me, okay? Yeah. And I also yeah. believe that you should stop using the term losing your virginity. I hate that term. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, I think, yeah, listen, you're not losing. It's not a loss. You're gaining something. You're yeah. gaining experience. Granted, is it going to be great every time? No, most people's first time is horrible. Listen, and that's part of the experience too. You just had, we just had an experience. You just had an experience that was don't horrible. Don't too much. I'm not going to, but you're 31, you're 30. So it's never perfect. It's not always perfect. You know, there's always terrible experiences, but to, to tell young people that their first experience, oh, you know, it's probably not going to be great. Well, why are we doing that? You know? No, I think we do it the other way too often is what I'm saying. I think we often say, oh, it has to be special. Yeah, no, yeah. And then we have this idea of it has to be in a beautiful hotel room yeah, surrounded yeah, yeah. by candles. And with, flowers and, and violinists in the corner, which would change things entirely. <laughs> but That could be good. But. It's totally good. But yeah, it's like, let's stop. Well, stop putting pressure. Stop the pressure yeah you know the misconceptions just roll with it but again do it intelligently have conversations make sure that if that's a decision that someone is going to make it's someone you care about is going to make that they're they are comfortable enough to come to you and have those conversations so that you can help guide them yeah for sure all right so along those same lines we're going to do another sex cliche piece of advice here okay. all right you should wait insert number of dates before having sex. Oh, no. So the one that I've always heard is three. Like, wait until after date three to first have sex. No, I'm sorry. I don't... Sometimes, maybe sometimes three dates is the way to go. Sometimes five dates. I don't know. But if it if it's, it feels right, who cares if it's date one, two, three, four, or five? Well, I, I guess I wonder why people say this. Is it because that perception you, you need to know a person no you need to have some level of vanilla understanding of who they are in order to enjoy a sexual experience no or is it more so the idea of you don't want to feel like a slut if you have sex with someone before it is deemed acceptable to do so by other people well first of all we use the term slut in, as in an endearing way and so many you know, people do not many do not <laughs> but you know the idea that someone would use it in a derogatory fashion is unacceptable anyway but yeah i mean what what who cares what someone else thinks someone else's perception doesn't matter if you feel like you're in a situation where you and your partner are prepared to have a consenting sexual relationship uh, or sexual encounter i should say whether it's date one or date 10 that's your own personal business and no one should be able to tell you differently i do think there's this idea out there that if you have sex with a man too soon he will not value you as much it goes back to that idea of losing your virginity it's that idea of if you give it up too early he's going to see you in a certain light and therefore it could hinder the relationship and I say two things to that. First of all, a man should never be able to dictate a woman's sexual identity like that. And second of all, why would you want to be with a man who wants to? Yeah, if you're if, if that if you're a guy or you're with a guy who is prepared to treat you that way, it, then the rest of it doesn't matter anyway. That's that's a character flaw. Yeah. So that doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. But what is relevant is how two people feel about being together, whether it's a you know physical intimate situation or not. And as long as again, as long as there's consent, then there's there's no problem with it. There shouldn't certainly shouldn't be a problem with it. And if someone is looking down on you because you had sex on the first date or the second date or the third date or whatever it may be, you probably need to consider the circle of people that you're, you know, the company you're keeping. Yeah. We also had sex on the first date. So we absolutely <laughs> and it worked did. out just fine. <laughs> yeah. And we have sex every day, every day from that point forward. And you certainly and did not value me any less. No, I most certainly did not. In fact, I had so much value for you. I almost had to try to talk myself out of, you know, falling in love with you because I was so... <laughs> it happened so quickly. So the idea that someone's going to look down on you for that is just ridiculous. You know when you know. The, the, the idea of putting a, I'm going to have sex on date three. You know, come on. That's crazy. Yeah. Plus, how much does that get you out of the experience? How much does that take away from your ability to just truly and genuinely connect with someone? Yeah. For me, sex is a way to show connection. And if you're limiting that or you're placing some sort of a crazy time frame on when that can happen, I think you're limiting the ability for everything to flow the way that it naturally should and could. Well, also, I mean, you talk about the situation that we find ourselves in with ethical non-monogamy. You know, we have sex with folks that we we know obviously and some folks that we know a little bit but it's about the experience it, it, we don't look any further than that if it turns into a relationship or friendship that's a bonus right you know so it's not like you have to be 
friends and then you have to be in a relationship and then you have sex. That's absolutely not true. I'm also just going to throw this thought out there on this specific topic. I personally don't feel like you can truly know who somebody is until you have sex with them. Absolutely. There are a lot of people that will disagree with me on that and that's totally fine. But I personally get a completely different sense of who a person is when clothes are off and that vulnerability is there and we're connecting in that very kind of carnal way. I see people very differently, behave differently, interact with me very differently, yes. all of those things. And so I think if if you're waiting, you know, five dates, 10 dates down the road to have sex with someone, I'm not sure that you're getting a full picture of who they really are. No, you absolutely are not. And that's what we just talked about, about, you know, saving it for the wedding night. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Insane. (laughs) If you don't know someone on a sexual level, the idea that you're going to have a successful, healthy relationship with that person is just, it's a crazy concept to me. Well, it's a a crapshoot, basically. Oh, you're 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 definitely rolling the dice. dice. Yeah. You are definitely rolling the dice. You could have an amazing sexual connection with them, or you could not. Or it could be a total disaster. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, these are conversations I wish people would have, and that's what, you know, with the folks that we talk to and, and, and counsel, you know, and coach, have those conversations in the beginning of your relationship. You know, whether you've had a sexual encounter with each other or not, you need to start having conversations if you intend to go any further than date one. Hey, listen, we really should have a conversation about what it looks like for me sexually, what your sexuality is all about. I mean, open up those lines of communication. It will, And whether you're having sex on date one or date 25, it will absolutely enhance that experience. There's no question about it. If you've already had that conversation, you know, nothing worse than than just going in blind. Yeah. Exactly. So the last cliche statement we have to discuss today is once a cheater, always a cheater. Wow. That's a that's one women love to tell their female friends right after they get cheated on yep. as a way to steer them out of staying with said cheater. Yep. Or it's also one of those things that, once again, it's typically women that find out that the man has cheated in the past and assume immediately that that means they're going to cheat in the future as well. Yep. And I have, in- I have some interesting thoughts on this, but I guess I want to hear your thoughts first. Well, you know, when someone, you, it depends on really what your what your experience is with said person, right? You could say that once someone cheats, that they're always a cheater. And you could say that if someone cheats on a relationship, well, they're going to be, you know, less than stand up in business. And they're going to probably, you know, steal paper clips from their office. And Yeah, their you know, integrity is less than because yeah, they were a cheater. Yeah, you're questioning someone's integrity. And while you and I, in our world of ethical non-monogamy, we make this very clear in all of our profiles, particularly as it pertains to us interacting with single folks, single men, unfortunately, in this particular case, we make it very clear that if you are not truly single... There is really no reason for you to contact us. Or if you say you're in an open relationship, that's great. We're going to need to meet and speak to your partner. You know, those kinds of things. We're not going to help you have an infidelity situation going on in your relationship. We're not going to help you do that. Now, that is not to say that there are some train wreck relationships out there. And we've had this conversation with people about how difficult it is to talk to your partner of many years. You've got kids, whatever the situation is, about, hey, I need this sexually. Or... You're not having a sexual relationship with your partner. How many times have we heard that? You know, my partner simply isn't interested. Okay, but there are reasons for that that you probably need to dig into a little bit. Have you actually had a conversation about it? Nonetheless, you can't judge somebody until you've lived in their shoes, right? You're not in their relationship. You don't know what the situation is. If you're just someone who's a serial cheater for the sake of cheating, well, then that's kind of crappy. But if, you know, I guess if there there has to be some very, very serious elements to this relationship going on for that to become in any way acceptable. And I I don't want to judge anybody for it because I don't live in their their situation, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's just not something that we're going to help you do. Right. You know, that's kind of our thing. Now, does that mean that someone who steps out on their significant other, be it, you know, a, a husband or a wife or otherwise, can't be uh, completely monogamous and trustworthy. No, that's that's absolutely crap. I don't buy that for a second. Yes. So my point of this is I think there are a large number of lifestyle couples out there that were in marriage number one and cheated. And through that situation, realized that they were not meant to be monogamous. And it opened up their eyes to the fact that they looked at their relationship from a monogamous only viewpoint and it destroyed the relationship. 
because they weren't able to be honest about the things that they needed either with themselves or with their partner or both. And once they're able to step away from that relationship and get into a relationship where they can be more honest and more open about what they need, they aren't wanting to cheat anymore. They want to be honest with their partner and they want to share experiences with their partner that are non-monogamous in nature. And so I think the concept of once a cheater, always a cheater is simplifying a very complex issue. I, I, I feel very strongly that there are a lot of people out there that have cheated in the past and especially now if they're in the lifestyle, look back on that and go, wow, that was not the way that should have gone down. No. But I learned from it and I became a better person and now I'm in a healthier relationship as a result of it. I don't think cheating is always a bad thing. In the moment, it seems like it is, but in the big picture scheme of the world, I, I don't think that cheating is always this incredibly villainous thing. I think it can really teach you so much about yourself, about your partner, about your relationship, so many things. Well, you know, we as, as you mentioned, we know some couples that are in those situations around their second marriage or whatever the case may be, and they're, they're in ethically non-monogamous, very healthy relationships, and their first marriages were, were just not good, and, and they weren't healthy, and they, they stepped out and met their, their who the person that is now their lifelong partner and then went to their prospective partners and said, Hey, uh, this isn't going to work. And, you know, unfortunately this is where I'm at and this is where you're at. We've, we've got to sever this. And, and that's where the thing ends. And again, I'm not going to put myself in anybody's situation as it pertains to their relationship and and whether or not someone's, there's an infidelity component there. Um, But, uh, you know, obviously the first thing you want to try to do is have a conversation with your partner if you can. And, for a lot of different reasons, people find that very, very difficult. Because again, once you have that conversation about, hey, this isn't working for me, maybe we ought to try this, or you know, we have no sexual chemistry, we have no sexual relationship, what can we do to fix it? You know, If your partner is resistant to those conversations, that's a very difficult place to come back from. And then what you're doing is creating more resentment. And we know from talking to people in a lot of cases, that's actually what's happened. One of the partners has opened up that line of communication, got met with crazy judgment and really just resentment, which forced or pushed that other partner towards someone else. As humans, as you know, human creatures, we want contact. We want to be physical. You know, we want, we need that. And if you're not getting it from someone, it's not saying it's right, but you're going to find it somewhere. You know, and if you're not having that kind of connectivity that you need with your partner, you need to have that conversation. Yeah. Otherwise, this where you end up is you end up with uh, a situation where a couple is going to they're going to run into trouble with infidelity. It's it's a foregone conclusion in many many cases. Yeah, I guess the reason I really don't like this this cliche statement of once a cheater always a cheater is a because I don't think it's true, and b because like I said, I think it villainizes and it's basically what it does is it takes all of the reasons that you could potentially be unfaithful to someone and puts them in one little box rather than looking at the relationship as a whole, like as from a holistic perspective. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, I know a lot of people that have cheated in the past. It doesn't make them bad people. Like you said, there are serial cheaters out there. There are people that get off on cheating on their partners. It's a fetish. There are jerks and horrible people out there that do those kinds of things. And if that's you, if you fall into that category, yeah, you're a really, really bad person. But if you're somebody who gets wrapped up in things and makes some mistakes and learns from them, I don't think you're a bad person. No, and you can certainly come back from it. It's not like that's now you're, you know, you got the scarlet letter on your chest. That's just not the case. I mean, you could say that for anyone who has any kind of a, you know, who slips up, right? Well, you also can say it of couples. There are a lot of people out there that they, there's some level of infidelity in their relationships. The person is found out yes. and they have the chance to really work on their relationship. It's that like wake up call for them of, wow, we have not been focusing enough on the sexual connection. We have not been focusing enough on our intimacy, on our emotions, all of these different things. And it makes them significantly stronger as a couple. In fact, a lot of times, especially if they have really worked on things together, those are the people that get into the lifestyle and are very successful. Yeah, we we spoke with a couple about that uh, through our Sex on Your Terms portal, and they had just that experience. The wife had, uh, had an affair for a period of time was found out and they sat down, the husband and wife, and had a cogent conversation about it, decided that they belonged in an ethically non-monogamous relationship. He was actually having the same feelings she was. He just didn't act on them and certainly didn't speak to her about them. And as it turned out, the person that she was having the affair with became part of their throuple. 
Yep. So, you know, and they have a phenomenal relationship now. So, yeah, something good can come from that type of a situation. Not not always, but there is the opportunity. I think the bottom line is you got to you got to talk to each other about it. And you got to figure out why the cheating is happening. I think so many times we assume, "Oh, you're cheating and therefore your relationship is doomed or your relationship was horrible to begin with." Right. I think a lot of times it's it can be as simple as we just haven't focused enough on our sex life. Yeah, we get we get along in every aspect. Our lives are great, except that we don't have sex with each other. People take sex and the idea of sex with other people, if it's not consensual, as such a personal thing. It's like, oh, you must not love me. You must not care about me. You must not want to be a part of this family anymore. Sometimes that's the case. And sure. other times it's just an opportunity to become better. Yeah, there's there's always an opportunity in, in negative situations like that, I think. But it's the people that really earnestly feel like they had no alternative. And it's like, I, I just, you know, we didn't know what else to do, or I didn't know what else to do. I was at my wits end. And, you know, those are the people I got to, I feel for, you know, I get it. I understand because of our relationship, I understand how difficult it is to have an open conversation with your partner about your sexuality and what you need and what you want, because I never did it, or I probably wouldn't have been divorced four times. You know, I was never able to articulate it. And, it's difficult. You, you don't want to be met with judgment and resentment. You're just afraid of it. Right. You know, and you don't, and again, once you let that genie out of the bottle, you can't put it back in and you don't know what the repercussions of that are going to be. And when there's outliers involved, you know, not the least of which is family, it's tough for people to make that leap, you know? So they figure, okay, I'm going to roll the dice. And how many times have we heard from people who have done that, both men and women who've cheated on their significant other, they wanted to get caught. That's how they use that as a way to have this conversation with their partner because it's easier to get caught and go, okay, now I'm caught. We can just talk about it, right? It's like a criminal. You get caught. You you don't fess up to it, but you get caught and it's like, oh, finally. Okay, now we can have a conversation about it. And that opens up a line of communication. And a lot of those couples ended up being very solid afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you can absolutely bounce back from that. So I'm saying nay on this one too. Me too. So it's about half and half. I think some of the ones that we said yay on, we kind of said nay on as well. I think a lot of times these very cliche statements of this is how relationships have to be or this is how you have to think about interactions within your relationship it's very limiting and it also doesn't account for especially in lives like we live the plethora of different options that that are at your disposal things that you can go after and ways that you can design your life i think the whole reason we do this podcast and one of the things we become incredibly passionate about is helping people to understand that you don't have to do things the way they've always been done if that doesn't make sense for you design your own life Make yourself happy. Make your relationship as strong and as pleasurable as it can possibly be. Well, I think the the big takeaway for me from all of these that we talked about today is things aren't that straightforward. There are external components to all of those cliches. And gray areas too. Very gray. This is, you know, we're talking about relationships, right? They're not black and white. Right. We live in the gray area. That's where we live. And the now there are some things that we're steadfast about. I mean, there's no question. But as it pertains to our sexuality, and the exploration of our sexuality, it is all gray. It's all open for discussion. Right. And these are just not straightforward, hard and fast rules. You know, you've got to be able well, to Well, they are, but they shouldn't be. <laughs> well, they certainly shouldn't be looked at that way. Yeah. You yeah. know, there are caveats to all of those. Right. Exactly. You know? So we hope that you have enjoyed this discussion. If you would like to provide your feedback on this topic, maybe give us an opinion that we haven't considered based on these cliche relationship and sex advice pieces, please reach out to us at sexonyourterms at gmail.com. You can also leave your episode topic suggestions, your questions, and if you'd like additional information on our coaching, you can uh, drop us a line there as well. You can also go to sexonyourterms.com and book an appointment with us. We would love to discuss your relationship, your sex life, any of that with you. It is what we love doing more than anything else. Also, please find us on social media. We're on Sex on Your Terms, both on Twitter and Instagram. And just a reminder, if you guys haven't left us a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribed on whichever platform you're listening on right now, that is what is going to help us continue to grow this show and uh, get in front of more people. Maybe drop a few knowledge bombs on some people that maybe need it. So uh, we'd love if you support us that way it means a lot to us and i think that is what we have for you this week so until next time we hope you enjoy sex on your terms